one can live happily who has regarded to himself alone and transforms everything into a question of his own utility. You must live for your neighbor if you would live for yourself. Thanks, Seneca. (laughs) Welcome to another Momentary Mindfulness. Glad you could join me. It's been a crazy week. It's Saturday morning. It's rainy. Supposed to be some big parade, but I don't know, man. I don't know. They stay in rain or shine, but my ass is probably going to be stuck here because I like to be comfortable. I love it. I like it. I need it. (sighs) Okay, we're back in the moment. So if you've been with us, with me, we've been reading this book, The Happiness Hypothesis, and going through it. If I got to be honest with you, I honestly can't wait to get done with this. I think I've mentioned it before. I sometimes put myself in these parameters and I like to be free. So just the thought of having to go through a book every week has been a lot for me, but it's also helping me to learn a lot about myself and to push through those feelings of, I don't want to do it anymore. I want to do something else. I just want to talk shit and pretend like I know some shit about mindfulness. But I said I'd make it through this book, so I'm going to. And I also want to do it right, you know, because Right now we're on the chapter of love and and attachments, which I love. <laughs> dad jokes. But dad jokes aside, the first few parts of this book were really not, I guess I should say not, well, really the whole book, but specifically in the love and attachments part, I was really surprised that he started out with the love and attachment of a mother and a child. And it makes total sense because he lays this foundation of how those same attachments are not just for children, but they're the way we operate too. And it's funny because when I think of the word love, and I think when most of us do, there's that initial thought of the kind of love you fall into when you get older with a significant other, a partner, you know, that, that love, that kind of love you fall into and then struggle to hold on to. <laughs> and it's funny because that same, the same way that we feel about our mothers and that attachment as, as a child, as a baby, is the same way that we feel about these partners. And it's cool because he kind of breaks it down that like, obviously in the early ages, it's all about this attachment to the mother. And then between the ages of eight and 14, the safe haven begins to expand, right? We've all felt that where parents begin to, yeah, still take a a large part of of how we live life and and what we're attached to, but then it's peers, right? You get your, your freeing group and now they're part of your emotional support and it doesn't end at adolescence. Man, I can't talk this morning because around age 15 to 18, is when all four components of attachment that we talked about previously can be satisfied by one peer, specifically a romantic partner. And it's funny because, I mean, he brings up the Bible, which is breaks it down in Mark 10, 7 through 9. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. A man, a motherfucking man, brother. Hell yeah. I'm married. I know what that feels like. It's very true. My wife is 
largely probably I mean undoubtedly my greatest attachment in a in a human existence. We've been married for 8 years and yeah, like sometimes shit is like we get in arguments and blah blah blah. But man, I couldn't even imagine my life without her. Like as I change, she accepts that a change and finds a new capacity to love this new version of me. It's beautiful. Love is great, man. And and we're going to get deeper into this chapter, man. There's a lot. But I wanted to take my time on it. I didn't want to get I didn't want to parouse through love so easily cuz I love it so much. I love to love. And maybe you felt the other side of that coin. You know, when someone leaves you that you love. It's that initial anxiety and panic followed by depression followed by some sort of recovery through that emotional detachment what was so crazy in the book is they said the same goes for a, a, a child when they're placed in the hospital without their parents initial anxiety and panic followed by to some sort of depression followed by recovery through emotional detachment it's so crazy how the way we're just built is the way we're built, it seems, as humans. I mean, once you just kind of think about this, the similarities between romantic relationships and parent-infant relationships, it's kind of obvious. You've got that initial, you know, baby love. And same thing with a lover, right? You know, that love first rushes in and you spend endless hours in face-to-face mutual glaze holding each other and nuzzling each other and cuddling and kissing and using baby voices and enjoying the same release of oxytocin just blasting through your mind. In the same way a mother does that with their baby. It's crazy, right? It's crazy. So how as humans do we neurohack our way to get some of that oxytocin? Well, in the book, he says specifically one of the greatest ways as, a, as an adult is sex. Sexual activity, especially if it includes cuddling and extended touching and orgasms, turn on so many of the same circuits that are used to bond infants and parents. It's crazy. So I guess this week have some sex no, I'm just kidding I think I want to stop here because the book begins to shift from this point on when it comes to love but and I think this is also a good place to stop because it's important to know these things to be able to understand why you maybe are attached and sometimes attachments aren't even a good thing right but maybe this week it's just a way to observe yourself a little bit more to understand yourself a little bit more and why we do the things we do, why we get attached in loving relationships and how we can even nurture them by more skin-to-skin contact and shit like that. So go get your partner, find a partner, do some bouncity bounceding, release that oxytocin and have a good week. <laughs> For real. Honestly. If you're having a, um, a shitty week, Take a deep breath. Come back to the moment. Realize you're never as lost and found as you think you are. Realize that change is always coming. It's nature's delight. It's always happening. So if you're in a shitty situation, it will change inevitably. 
Earlier this week, I had one of the worst days of my life. I'm talking bad. I'm talking wanting to fucking burn it to the ground bad. I'm talking wanting to just like go mad. And I held on for just one more day. And when I woke up, it felt a lot different. So just to give you a little momentary mindfulness, hold on. It's going to be okay. Hope you have a wonderful week and you can always reach out to me at lifegetsherry at gmail.com. Peace and love.